Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire and this is The War of Independence, Part 11, Women and the Irish Revolution. This episode is something different to the shows in the War of Independence series to date. As the story develops, I'll be doing interviews with experts on specific aspects of the war, which will help deepen our understanding of the conflict. In the first of these, I'm delighted to have Liz Gillis on the show to look at how women played a key role in the Irish Revolution. Now, while numerous Irish women, from revolutionaries to unionists, have been covered in the series to date, this fascinating interview with Liz provides a wider context and looks at how women helped to establish Ireland's revolutionary movement, and then how many women, although often overlooked in later histories, played essential roles in the conflict. Well, this is all ahead of us, I have a quick update on a question that I've been getting lots of inquiries about over the last few months, and that's about my books. So if you've only started listening to this show recently, you might not be aware that I've written two books. Now, the first of these was published in 2013 and is on life in medieval Ireland, and has lots of fascinating chapters on individual aspects of medieval life, from things like sex, politics, and war. Now, this has been out of print for a while, and the price online has gone off the charts to the point that I couldn't afford to buy my own book. At the time of writing this there was even a copy of the first edition on sale for £130 sterling. Now I really hope no one buys that copy. It's not only an obscene amount of money but I wouldn't even see a cent of it. In some good news though I have copies of a second edition paperback available in the shop at irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop. That's irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop. Now these are much more reasonably priced at just €13.99 and they'll be signed by yours truly. There's only 20 copies of the book available in the shop so get yours now at irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop. Now to the interview. I began by asking Liz to introduce herself. My name is Liz Gillis and thanks a million Finn for having me on the show and uh, I'm an historian and I'm the author of six books about the Irish Revolution. So I've written a book uh, about the women 
Um, and I've co-written a book about the women. So uh, the, the photograph book that I did is called Women of the Irish Revolution. That was by Mercer Press. Liz then went on to give an overview of women's position in wider Irish society at the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, so supposing uh, your, your class meant what? status you had and what your position would be in society obviously um with upper middle class women and you know the well to do uh you know the some had had access to university thankfully university was opened up to women um at that stage um towards the end of the uh, 19th century but um a lot of them are doing philanthropic work uh, they were involved in the the local boards of workhouses and so on so there had been changes um made for women to be active in political life but those women would be women from uh, uh, upper class or upper middle class backgrounds One organisation that women were increasingly involved with was the Gaelic League, an organisation founded by Irish nationalists to promote the Irish language, history and culture. Liz explains how working class women, effectively barred from education, were involved in the Gaelic League and how it became a key building block in the revolutionary movement. The working class women were out working. You know, education wasn't open to them. Um, you know, except the exception would be the Gaelic League. Um, and the Gaelic League is 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 crucially important to uh, educating women, not in terms of, you know, furthering yourself, but um, in educating them in terms of the Irish history, the culture, the language, the heritage. And that all ties in with the revolutionary movement. Girls from, a, a, say, a middle-class background would go into teaching and so on. And at the turn of the century, obviously, you have the suffragist movement. Um, and they would be, you know, the women who had led the way there would be Anna Haslam and uh, Isabella Todd. And, you know, fighting for the rights for women to get the vote and so on. But not all women, women of a certain class. But then following on from that, you have the younger generation of suffragettes, Hannah Shee Skeffington and Margaret Cousins and so on, who were Republican minded or nationalist minded, but feminism was their uh, main priority. And then this beacon of activism uh, that is Maud Gahan emerges in 1900. Well, she'd been active since the 1880s, but she is the linchpin that joins all of these different strands together because she was the daughter of a a British officer who was stationed in the west of Ireland in the 1880s at the height of the land war. And Maud Gahn had witnessed an eviction and that's the moment she becomes politicised and gets so involved in in Irish political movements. Um, She was involved in the amnesty campaign for the Fenian dynamiters, uh, Tom Clark and so on, that were being treated horribly in prison in England. And although she was a member of certain groups, she was ostracised from a lot of groups because she was a woman. But Maud Gahn was just a force to be reckoned with. And she set up in Nina Nehair and Daughters of Ireland in 1900. And they were a militant Republican group of women. These weren't hiding behind any doors. They weren't, you know, nationalists. They didn't want just, you know, um, to be part of the British Empire. They wanted to be completely separate from the British Empire. And that group brought together uh, women like Kalina Maloney, Countess Markovich was a member. Um, you have working class women besides 
the those of the upper middle class or middle class women. And that organization, it ticks so many boxes because it takes in feminism, it takes in republicanism predominantly, socialism. Um, there's a real sense of social justice with these women. And they were they set up schools in the North Near City for the boys and girls of the poorest places in Dublin because there was no future for them. No one was providing a future for those kids. They saw um, that education was power, so educate those children. This educational work, carried on by Inyini Naheran, was crucial. And the spelling of this organisation is difficult. You can find it in the notes below this show. But as Liz now explains, this educational work was crucial after the founding of another organisation called Nafia Naheran. Founded in 1909, this organisation for teenage boys was where many Republican leaders began their political activism and the fact that they had been educated and influenced by Inini Naheran was crucial. Countess Markovic in 1909 then co-founds Nafina Aaron with Bulmer Hobson. You have this relationship because some of the boys that would have been um, taught by these women join Nafina Aaron. So the two most important groups, and I'd argue the reason you have a Republican movement at all in the 20th century, because remember the IRB was was defunct pretty much at this stage, is because of Nafina Aaron. Then that link with Nafina, who become the officers of the Irish Volunteers when they're set up in 1913, Nafina, who had all of that history behind them. So from one group, you have, I would argue, all of this emerging um, and amazing women and the sense of social justice. And I will say this time and time again, the sense of social justice never, ever, ever left the women because they knew what they were fighting for. They had a very clear vision of what the new Ireland was they wanted in that. And, and, and it's not taken away from the men, but it's like, what was the, the it was once said that, uh, you know, the, the men was like, you know, when, it, when a, a dog chases a car and he's just focused on chasing the car and then he gets the car. Then it's like, what's he going to do? But the women knew that if they get this new Ireland, it is an Ireland where man, woman and child will matter. Um, it will be equal rights for everyone and the poorest will be looked for after and given opportunities and that's what they were fighting for and you see that the women it never ever leaves the women that goal and it is sort of realized in print with the 1916 proclamation while women were becoming increasingly active in politics in the early 20th century liz now explains how this provoked different reactions from different movements for example home rulers traditionally much more conservative were hostile to women getting involved in politics while republicans who had worked alongside women were much more supportive. And definitely the, the Home Rule uh, movement, the Irish Parliamentary Party, they, women weren't going to have a place if Ireland got Home Rule. Um, and when you've got the likes of Hannah Shee Skeffington, who is a suffragette, who was a, you know, is being arrested with her comrades for her activities, while her father, who is a member of the Irish Parliamentary Party, is advocating, no, there is no vote for women. Um, you can see that tension you can imagine that tension imagine what you know dinner time would be like in that house um but within the republican movement at that time then the i suppose the difference within the republican movement you don't have that tension 
that comes later. Um, you know, if you consider that the and you can't sort of underplay the importance of the Gaelic League because the Gaelic League was responsible in bringing men, like-minded men and women together, who then became those revolutionaries. So they've got things in common, and they're all doing the same thing. They're all having the same conversations. The newspaper of Inyne Heron was particularly important in building these links between men and women. They had a newspaper, Ban the Heron, and Countess wrote for it, and Helena Maloney was the editor, because um, Maud Gaughan was in France at this stage. But I'm paraphrasing here, but it was the newspaper that young men read, because all of the, the these future revolutionaries, um, they'd be going into, you know, Tom Clark's shop and so on, and they'd be all reading this newspaper, because you know, while you had gardening tips in, you also had, like, you know, militant Republican, you know, tones. Um, the women didn't hold back on what they were actually saying and what they were advocating for. So you do have a lot of close relationships developing thanks to organisations like the Gaelic League. And then when the time came, they would be side by side. The most famous and arguably most important women's organisation was Common Naman. It was founded in the midst of the Home Rule Crisis in the years before the First World War. As covered in episode one of the War of Independence series, from 1912 onwards, it seemed Ireland would receive increased autonomy in the form of home rule. As Liz explains, this led to a militarisation of politics in Ireland with the founding of the Ulster Volunteers to oppose home rule with force and then the Irish Volunteers to support home rule. Many of the women Liz has already talked about were instrumental in setting up Common Naman, a women's organisation to support Home Rule, but would go on to play an important role in the 1916 Rising and then the War of Independence itself. Yeah, so Common Naman, uh, the Irish Women's Council, so that was uh, set up officially on the 2nd of April 1914. Now, a lot had changed uh, with 1912. So you had finally home rule would be put on the statute books. Um, so Ireland would get some form of independence, take a couple of years to come into effect. Um, and pretty much immediately in response to that, you have the formation of the Ulster Volunteer Force um, in Ulster. Basically, Edward Carson and, and his supporters taking up arms or threatening to take up arms to fight the, the British government if they tried to make Ulster leave uh, the, the you know Britain or be part of United Ireland. Now no one was looking out for home rule and there was always eyes down here watching what was happening up in Ulster. So it was decided that well if there's no one, if there's someone you know set up this organization set up to basically destroy home rule there should be someone to protect home rule so you have the formation of the Ulster Volunteer Force down here nationwide organisation hugely hugely popular um, now Inina was in Dublin and because you have this now nationwide male organisation it pretty much decided let's go let's go nationwide Let's set up a nationwide women's organisation to help with this. So Coming Amon was founded um, in Wynn's Hotel um, on the 2nd of April 1914. Now, the thing is, Inina didn't go away. Um, Inina became a branch of Coming Amon. So Coming Amon was set up along the lines of branches and you would have a president, a secretary, a treasurer and so on. There was one militant branch of Coming Amon. 
and that was Dianina Branch. And they set themselves up along the same lines as the volunteers in that they had a commandant, a vice commandant and, um, you know, in, an adjutant and section leaders and so on. Um, and what you find with that group is that they and the women of the Irish Citizen Army are the dominant militant groups um, in 1916, those two little groups, because it was only a small group of women. There was a bit of tension then within the ranks of the women because some women argued that the, the coming them on were just an auxiliary to the volunteers, that they were just going to be, you know, in a supporting role. But there were others that argued, no, we're more than that. And, you know, as history proved, the women were more than that. And um, we do have that tension from the start. But and certainly at the start, it is said that they are an auxiliary movement. But again, without coming them on, you could not have had the volunteers and later the IRA just simply could not have done what they did um, in either 1916 or the War of Independence. Um, and the women proved that they were well more than just supporters of the, the uh, Republican movement. The 1916 Rising, covered in episode two of the series, was a pivotal moment in terms of building Ireland's revolutionary movement. This insurrection saw armed rebels seize key buildings across Dublin, leading to a week of bitter fighting with the British Army. And Liz now explains how women were involved in this revolt. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yeah, the famous saying is the only made sandwiches. Um, and even that, like, geez, that, that, that proved to be so crucial. Um, so what you had was um, another organization that we we just didn't mention or I mentioned briefly was the Irish Citizen Army and they are so important because the Irish Citizen Army set up in 1913 in November um, and it, that was unique in that men and women were members. Um, now James Connolly, uh, he 
he believed that the women should be trained in the use of arms and not that they were to be fighting beside the men when the fight came. It was that if something did happen to the front line, as in the men, some would have to continue the fight and that would be the women. And in the Irish Citizen Army, for so many women, they go, this is the organisation I've been looking for, for everything. It brings everything together. So you have got you know, trade unionism, socialism, feminism, um, you know, the, the republicanism, everything. So you find then that women like Countess Markovich, Helene Maloney, a lot of Anina women then become members of uh, the Irish Citizen Army as well. So when it comes to 1916, two women, only two women were promoted to the rank of officer before the rising. And they were Countess Markovich and Kathleen Lynn, and both for the Irish Citizen Army. Kathleen Lynn served in City Hall and Countess Markovich, of course, was in Stevens Green. She wasn't meant to be there, but because of the countermanding order that, you know, caused so much confusion and, you know, so few turned out. Michael Mallon, who was in charge there, needed all hands on deck. Countess Markovich was very adept and, uh, you know, she, she could fire a gun, no problem. She'd been taught by Margaret Skinner, who was also in the College of Surgeons, um, and Countess was able to organise and so on. And the other branches of Common Amon, they were delegated to go to serve with the different outposts in the city centre. So in the general post office, you have women mainly from the central branch of Common Amon, because, again, when... The, when the countermander and order had been given cancelling the manoeuvres for the Sunday, then the women find out on the Monday that there actually is going to be something happening. So they, some of them went to where they could. The GPO is the main focal point. You have Winifred Carney. She was the only woman to actually set off from Liberty Hall with the headquarters garrison who would occupy the GPO. Um, she marches off with James Connolly and Pierce and Tom Clark and so on. And he said she was armed with a typewriter in one hand and revolver in the other. The other two groups from that left from Liberty Hall, the Citizen Army, one half go and take over City Hall, the other half go to Stevens Green. Kathleen Lynn and Countess Markovich in the meantime are driving around delivering supplies and so on. Um, and Countess Markovich arrives at St. Stevens Green after the policeman was shot. It has been said she's been blamed on shooting that policeman at Stevens Green. She wasn't there. Um, she was driving around the city with uh, Kathleen Lynn. Next, Liz explains how these women were crucial in maintaining morale amongst the rebels. She explained this by comparing the fate of the one rebel garrison without any women, that of Boland's Mills, with the rebels in the Marabone Lane distillery. In Boland's, a number of men did have breakdowns because they hadn't been under fire, they'd never been in this situation before. But you compare that to Marabone Lane distillery, where the women are the eyes of the volunteers because they were spotting for the volunteers where the soldiers were coming they're keeping up the spirits of the men so even when it looks like at the surrender when they're defeated and it's all over the the women were told to go and they said no refuse to leave the men they've been with them all week they'll stay with them all week don't know don't care what happens to them and as they're being marched down to the uh point of surrender uh near Patrick's Park, the men were throwing away their guns. The girls are picking them up and hiding them in their skirts. When they get to, to the Ross Road, the British soldiers tell them, we're going to search as we know you have guns. They still refuse to go up the guns and carry them, smuggle them into Richmond Barracks. But as they're then being brought up to Richmond Barracks, being marched through the liberties and, you know, hostile crowds and stuff, the women were singing at the top of their lungs, God save Ireland. And so you've got 
what looks like a defeated army, but the sound and the imagery of these women who, you know, had never, no one had ever seen anything like this before. And there they are marching proudly. And what that was shown was, you may have won this battle, but the war is yet to come. And we're going to be part of that war. As has been covered in the series, the Republican movement re-emerged stronger than ever in the aftermath of the 1916 Rising, and the War of Independence began in 1919. Liz now details the role women played in the War of Independence. So, yeah, you have, um, there There was a very, I suppose, it, it wasn't that women were to be on the front line, say, fighting with the men in the battles, but it doesn't underestimate the work that the women had to do because it was essential to the, the, the whole Republican movement. So the War of Independence was a guerrilla conflict between the IRA and the Crown Forces. But the support network that was needed was was crucial. Intelligence. The women were fantastic at intelligence. And like Michael Collins, like the spies that he had everywhere was was unbelievable. You had postmistresses, like in the post office around the country, that were, you know, intercepting uh, letters coming in, telegrams coming in, passing them on to the IRA. Um, you had girls working in banks. Uh, one girl, I'll give you Jenny Cleary, and she worked in the Munster and Leinster Bank in town. And Men were coming in to deposit money into their bank account. They weren't. There was, there was, they passed in the bank book, but there was nothing in the bank book except maybe intelligence or if they were on their own, a letter home. And she'd pass that on to the intelligence officer. And then if word had to be given back, then, you know, they'd come back in to, you know, deposit money. And there was no money being passed through that bank book. You have the likes of Molly O'Reilly and so on that were members of Common Amon or the Citizen Army, but were uh, working in restaurants around the city um, and they're listening to the conversations and gathering the information the 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 women were everywhere and the IRA have been called an invisible army but the women were the invisible army because the authorities had not got a notion as to who they were and what they were doing like right you've got your high your big names like Countess Margaret and she was in now prison at this time and you know those who had been on the radar in 1916 but it was a whole undercurrent to women that didn't know anything about and then you've got the women that were had been members of coming them on but then were told no leave because there can't be a paper trail on you there can't be any suspicion and one of them would be um Josie Stallard who was like cattle brewer's aide and she was gathering information for him she while well, it was she was trying to be a doctor like you know um in, in the Kilm hospital um and she was traveling with him to England she was you know working with Liam Clark her future husband um and and so you've got all of that support and then uh, uh, one woman that stands out is of course uh Linda Cairns um not for of just like as in what she did but primarily amongst the volunteers because she had a car and, you know, who had a car back in those days? You know, very few people. But what women had cars back in those days? But um, Linda Cairns had been, was a nurse. And now it's later on in the War of Independence. But she was, um, you know, basically providing her car to the volunteers, not just to transport volunteers, but also to transport weapons. And and she was arrested as a result um, and received a 10-year prison sentence. Um, you've got the scouts with the ambushes, first aid, propaganda, the Irish bulletin. Oh my God, that couldn't be printed about the women. Like, you know, okay, Erskine Childers and Desmond Fitzgerald, they were the directors of publicity and they're the ones that are responsible for the 
know, creation of the Irish Bulletin, the the Republican news sheet to counter what was being said in the sort of mainstream press. But that was collated by the women. It was printed by the women. Kathleen McKenna Natalie, you know, she, her and another girl, um, they single-handedly pretty much printed this on their own. In often in our home, uh, our house was raided. They had to do it in the freezing cold because they couldn't, you know, alert to anyone to the fact that they were renting an office and it could be raided. Um, so you've got all of this work. And then, of course, the general thing of providing safe houses, looking after like, you know, 30 men that rock up to your house and, you know, feed them and make sure that they're safe. And then, God forbid, if there was a bloody ambush, and the reprisals were becoming, and they'd be coming to your door. And you had all that to put up with. So this is what the women were 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 doing. It's not just one thing, one aspect. The women were involved in everything, and it was all crucial, all crucial. Finally, while it jumps ahead of where the main series has reached, I wanted to ask Liz about the lives of these women after independence. The Irish Free State was a deeply conservative place, and women were very much second-class citizens, something enshrined in both the 1922 and 1937 constitutions. Liz addressed this by looking at the ideals of the 1916 proclamation that contained many of the aspirations of these revolutionary women, and how it was enacted or ignored after independence. So the 1922 Free State Constitution actually gave suffrage to everyone over the age of 21. So that was one aspect of the proclamation realised. It's pretty much the only one in terms of the women. Um, And that little glimmer of hope it didn't last very long. Now, I am no advocate of Eamon de Valera and, and, you know, the, the 1927 constitution. However, de Valera wasn't the only one. Dev hits the final nail on the coffin in terms of women in Ireland and their position in society. It was started with W.T. Cosgrave and Kevin O'Higgins way back in 1924. They started with the Juries Act, where Kevin O'Higgins wanted to take women. He wanted actually women not to sit on juries. There was huge, huge reaction to this from women who had been on the pro-treaty side and the anti-treaty side. They came together to go, hang on a minute, you ain't going to do this. And the way he got around it, he then put it that women could apply to be exempt or if women wanted to be on a jury, they could apply to be on a jury. Now, what woman was going to do that? Um, so you can see this chip and chip and chip in a way and it starts very early on. And what it basically means is, OK, you may have the vote, you may think you're a citizen, but you're a second class citizen. And it's gas when you look at it, right, the two, the two groups that, I would argue, are responsible for that Republican movement that got so much, you know, between those years, 1900 and 1923. Inina Naharan, forward slash coming on, and Nafina. And who were the two groups that really suffer in the new Irish state? The women and the kids. And what you see then with the women themselves, although they're excluded from big politics, like some do go Insta home. Some do because again, a lot of the women saw the revolution as part of their life, but not their life. And they went into the role of, of being a mother because, you know, look, there's nothing wrong with being a, a mother. And if you can raise a, a decent family and, you know, against all these, these fucking, you know, difficulties and so on, fantastic. Because a lot of women were traditional in that sense. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but Women who were involved in politics, although ostracised from big politics, they were involved in local politics. Um, and then some became senators. So you do have the likes of Lou Kennedy and then Nora Connolly, James Connolly's daughter. And I was only discovered this uh, last week, the week before. 
Nora Connolly, and thank God she was around. Um, so Nora Connolly had to beg for a pension, right, from the for our military service pension, the daughter James Connolly, who marched up and down, marched from Tyrone down to pretty much Dublin um, in 1916, did all that she did in the rising, and she had to write begging letters to prove what she had done in the in like uh, the the revolution. Um, but she was appointed a senator by Eamon de Valera, and there was a bill put before there was a bill that the church put forward, that they wanted to get juvenile girls, so girls who are troublesome, that they wanted to have the right to put them into the Magdalene laundries. Nora Connolly blocked that. So although the women aren't in big politics, like it's 1979 before we have our next minister, Countess Markovich, 1919, Minister for Labour, Morgan Quinn, 1979, like, <laughs> um, but you had the women in local politics and in other arenas that were able to do an awful lot. So they were there. And with a lot of them, Elizabeth Farrell, 1916, took to surrender to General Lowe. Like she never recognised the state. You know, you don't have a paper trail on Elizabeth Farrell. Um, you've got one a little pamphlet, it's her story that she dictated to somebody. That's all you'll have on Elizabeth Farrell. Others didn't recognise the state because it was not the state that they fought for and they suffered for. I'd like to thank Liz for her time. Sound on today's episode was by Jason Looney. In the next show, the series switches focus to Ulster and looks at how sectarianism shaped the War of Independence in the North and led to intense violence in the cities of Derry and Belfast in the summer of 1920. Finally, don't forget to get a copy of my first book at irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop now as i mentioned at the start there's only 20 copies there so it's worth getting yours today until next time sloan hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.